Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS Podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's Medical Director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Sajin Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hello. And today we have a special guest, paramedic Gary Desi. How's it going, everyone? And thank you, Gary, for being here. Today we're going to be talking about third trimester vaginal bleeding. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of Americans' family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Well, thank you, Gary, for being here today. Can you go ahead and tell us about yourself? So I'm Gary. Some of you may know me as your field supervisor on Saturdays. Um, I've been with American coming up on 10 years now. Started off as an EMT, became a paramedic paramedic preceptor and now a supervisor here. Fantastic. Um, Are you from Fresno? Yeah, from Fresno, born and raised. Perfect. I love the local crew. This is great. Um, Go ahead and tell us about your experience. So this is a very personal experience. It was uh, September 9th, 2015. We were at Kaiser Permanente Clovis and their high-risk department. My wife had placenta previa, so she just went in for a routine examination during the examination, the ultrasound tech got up and left the room, starting to wonder what's going on. She kind of frantically left. Uh, doctor comes back. There's, they said, you need to drive your wife over to Kaiser Fresno right now. Didn't really say much else. So take her to Kaiser Fresno, had her transported out to RMC, where we're, now we're starting to get the full story. So baby's got a rapid heart rate of about 200, 220 they're considering a condition called high drops fatalis. Said they needed additional specialty treatment, so transferred out to UCSF. Crew came down, basically flew my wife out. We get to UCSF later on that night. Um, come morning time around 5 o'clock, my wife wakes me up, is like, hey, I feel something warm. I pull the blankets off of her, and there's just... Probably the most blood I've seen. Um, I run outside. Luckily, there's a doctor right outside the door, comes inside, enters a speculum, and at which point we just see blood gushing out. Uh, probably within the next five minutes was the worst experience I've had. Um, they rushed her out of the room, had me wait inside the room, and performed an emergency C-section. I had to wait about four hours before I could see my wife, an additional two hours before I could see my daughter, um, who was diagnosed with Wolf-Parkinson's-White syndrome. Later found out it was about 26 rounds of adenosine given to her within the first day. Wow. And luckily everything went all right, and now it's a healthy five-year-old girl. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Now, can you go back and tell us how far along was your wife when all this is going on? She was 31 weeks um, and stayed in the hospital for an additional five weeks before discharged home. 
I know you're a paramedic at the time, so I'm sure when you're seeing all this blood, like, could you go through um, that 10 second freeze frame? Like, what was her assessment? Was she pale? Was she sweaty? Would she look okay? I mean, because she's kind of hemorrhaging. Yeah. So as I was paying attention to her, she was looking worse and worse. It was almost like her eyes were starting to kind of roll back. Um, She was very pale, diaphoretic. I know they infused about three units of blood after the surgery. So. And then in the surgery, did they end up being able to save her uterus or did they have to do a hysterectomy? They saved the uterus. Okay. Yeah. So at that time, which was terrifying, you must have also been kind of so happy that you were already in the hospital. Definitely. If this was outside of the hospital, I, circumstances would be very different right now. Yeah, definitely. We're going to talk about it in the podcast, but the with an abruption, you know, the chance of the baby living is very small, I think, because you were right there. And then also your wife, right, losing all that blood. I mean, imagine you were 30 minutes from a hospital, like it could have been a different story. So I'm so happy that it was a successful story. And you have a five-year-old to run around and drive you crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have another question. They had diagnosed her with placenta previa, it sounds like. And did you know that at that time, did she have any component of abruption yet? No, uh, no component of abruption. There wasn't any spotting or anything like that. Um, the reason why we kind of went into that day is the day before she just kind of experiencing some lower back pain. That's the only thing she was having. She's just like, my back really hurts. And we're like, well, you have a 31 week baby and you back pain's probably normal. Well, it's a good thing she listened to her body and was like, we're going in to get checked. Definitely. It sounds like at that ultrasound there, they didn't see the abruption, right? Because you didn't know about it then. So it must not have been occurring the day before, right? It sounds like it was previa and they were worried about the fast heart rate. Mainly they were worried about the high drops. And I do remember now that we're talking about it, they did try and put her on beta blockers. And that might have been for the fast heart rate of the baby, I'm guessing, um, but it's interesting to see like a documented no abruption and then less than 24 hours later abruption. So it talks about how sudden this is and yeah. how like it's not predicted. She's not doing anything traumatic. She's not using meth. You know, she's not doing anything. Does she complain of pain? Because a lot of this is painful vaginal bleeding. Yeah. So it was lower back pain, pretty severe lower back pain. Uh, nobody said anything about abruption or, hey, your placenta is separating or anything like that. She was pretty much bed bound from the time she reached Kaiser Fresno. To UCSF. When she woke you up saying, I feel something warm and it was blood, was she in more pain at that time? She was more frantic at that time. She knew knew something was wrong. Something was wrong. She didn't know what happened. Mm -hmm. She's just like, I have a warm sensation. So pulled the blankets off. And at that point, she kind of saw the blood too. So It's interesting with the pelvic exam you talked about the doctor doing you wonder if that made it worse because it was previa there right is she bleeding more mm-hmm. or is it was it going to be the same amount of bleeding because it was abrupting so it's kind of a very complicated case that it has both yeah i'm just happy you had a good outcome definitely super cool you have a miracle baby a miracle wife did you guys have a second kid after yeah we have a second kid uh, and after that we're done we have a <laughs> boy and was it traumatic <laughs> there though did she have any abruption or preview where everything was fine so no that was fine that was a routine uh-huh. normal i feel like but i bet she was stressed out the whole time yeah. she wasn't i was <laughs> <laughs> she was like no everything's gonna be fine you freak out over everything i was like you don't like, understand. Well, thank you for coming in today and sharing your story. Hey, no worries, my pleasure. So let's define some of the terms that we used that Gary used during his story. 
Today we're going to be talking about third trimester vaginal bleeding. To break down the trimesters, the first trimester is gestation less than 12 weeks. Second trimester is between 12 and 28 weeks. And the third trimester is between 28 weeks and 40 weeks or delivery. Now, when we talk about third trimester bleeding, we're really talking about vaginal bleeding in a viable patient. And so this can occur really anytime after 20 to 24 weeks. And the management of bleeding in this patient is very different than early pregnancy bleeding because the fetus is viable at this point. And we want to make sure that we're taking care of both patients, the mom and the fetus. Um, how often does this happen, right? So it seems that it happened about 5 to 6% of all pregnancies, which doesn't sound too much unless it's like Gary and his own family, and then it, it feels like a lot. In one study published in the Journal of Maternal Fetal Neonatal Medicine in May of 2020, so very recently, there's a retrospective review of almost 52,000 women showed a single episode of vaginal bleeding between 24 and 34 weeks increased the chances of preterm delivery from 5% to 20%. So preterm delivery is also an independent risk factor for maternal and neonatal morbidity and mortality. So these patients need to be taken seriously. They need to be monitored and transported for further evaluation. There are four main causes of bleeding in pregnancy after 20 weeks. Of these bleeding patients, 30% are due to placental abruption, 20% due to placenta previa, 1% due to vasa previa, and less than 1% bleed due to uterine rupture. And the rest are usually unidentified causes, likely slight separation of the placenta from the uterine wall. Now, these four big causes make up the majority of identified cases and can be life-threatening for both the mother and the fetus. And we're going to discuss each of these four in detail at this point. But keep in mind that the management of all of these is very similar. Stabilize the mother to ensure she's hemodynamically stable, transport to the hospital, uh, very quickly for consideration of an emergency section. The fetus is viable again, uh, like we said, at these gestational ages. So we consider both and uh, really you're just trying to um, stabilize mother and transport quickly. So let's talk about our four um, main causes of third trimester bleeding. The first is uh, vasa previa, which is when the umbilical cord is located at the internal cervical os, which is the opening of the cervix. So when a woman's water breaks or their membranes rupture, the umbilical cord then also ruptures, and this causes fetal exsanguination within minutes. So this is a really big deal. Basically, anytime the umbilical cord is in the wrong place, it's a big deal. Risk factors for this pathology include placental development problems, uterine anatomical problems, in vitro fertilization, and multiple gestations. And typically, this patient will have painless vaginal bleeding, but even though the woman has painless bleeding, the fetus is going to be under severe stress due to loss of blood. And once they're in the hospital, we can actually do certain tests in the hospital on the blood to determine if it's purely the mother's blood or if it's cord blood or fetal blood. But if you don't know this diagnosis ahead of time, it's very challenging to diagnose. I think one of the keys of diagnosing this is you need fetal monitoring, which doesn't happen um, in the pre-hospital setting. And so what would happen is they would come in with vaginal bleeding, the baby would be in duress, they'd have super high heart rates. Usually they're going to go to a C-section and then they see the cord is in the wrong place once they've delivered the baby. So this is a diagnosis kind of that gets made later and then explains what the patient's presentation was. Exactly. Now, placenta previa is when 
Now, instead of the umbilical cord in the way of the cervical opening, it's the placenta. The placenta attaches over the internal cervical os. And so now as the pregnancy continues, the uterus stretches and the placenta may start to separate from the uterine wall near that opening of the cervix. And so when that happens, then the placenta kind of starts lifting off and separating, and then you get painless vaginal bleeding. And we're going to talk about placental abruption more in a second. Um, but basically, previa is painless. Abruption is typically painful and associated with contractions. Now, um, one meta-analysis from 2017 looked at 29 articles of placenta previa, and up to 60% of these patients had antepartum bleeding. So that's bleeding prior to delivering the baby. This matters because placenta previa is associated with increased maternal mortality. Another study published in 2018 showed that the adjusted risk ratio of maternal morbidity was 2.6 if you had placenta previa, and the risk ratio of blood transfusion then to be 3.8 and hysterectomy 5.1. So again, these are people that are um, have more complications, need transfusions more often, and need hysterectomies more often. And again, um, just to reiterate, placenta previa is a painless vaginal bleeding. Another cause of major vaginal bleeding in the later stages of pregnancy is placental abruption. This is when the placenta either partially or completely detaches from the uterus prior to delivery. And remember, the placenta is how the fetus obtains all of its nutrients and oxygen. Without this connection, the fetus cannot survive. This complicates about 1-2% to of pregnancies. Now, risk factors for abruption include tobacco smoking, cocaine use, meth use, a previous history of abruption, severe hypertension or preeclampsia, and asthma. One study even found air pollution to be related to higher rates of placental abruption. Now, these patients with placental abruption will classically present as vaginal bleeding, and again, the differentiating factor is typically severe abdominal or low back pain and uterine contractions. It can occur spontaneously in the setting of the risk factors described. However, it can also occur in the setting of trauma. An important thing to note is the amount of vaginal bleeding does not correlate with the severity of placental separation. So it can be really difficult to assess severity based on an external exam. This can be further complicated when at least 50% of the placenta is separated. The mother commonly ends up developing DIC, which is disseminated intravascular coagulation, and there's a high chance of fetal death as well. If the patient is monitored and delivers without significant complication, it should still be noted for future pregnancies, patients with a history of abruption are 10 to 15 times more likely than a woman who has never had abruption to develop abruption with subsequent pregnancies. So just to reiterate, placental abruption, we typically differentiate from placenta previa based on the fact that it's painful associated with uterine contractions and can be severe and life-threatening for both mom and baby. And that brings us back to Gary's case. Like she had the low back pain and then she had the vaginal bleeding. So definitely kind of fits with the abruption model. I think the back pain kind of confuses us all because you wouldn't affiliate that with this. But remember, can women contract in different spots? So some women have abdominal contractions and some women have contractions in the back. So I think she was feeling it in her back. And so that was a pretty significant thing. And it's good she listened to that pain and was like, something's wrong. I got to go into the hospital. So let's talk about the final potential cause of bleeding, and this is the one we kind of dread the most, and this is uterine rupture. 
So this occurs when the uterus stretches and tears into the abdomen. Um, it can occur in the setting of trauma. It can occur during labor because of intrauterine infections, multiple gestations, and more commonly in a woman with a history of a uterine surgery, like having a C-section or had a surgery to remove fibroids. So these women, so what's happening is they have a surgical scar on their uterus. So they have an area of that muscle that is not um, as normal as the other muscle. And then they're going to go into labor with this baby. And so the labor puts a lot of force on it. So these women are going to present with diffuse abdominal pain. They can also be peritoneal. Um, the uterus won't feel like its normal self when you examine them. It'll kind of feel um, like loss of tone, like kind of boggy. They will have vaginal bleeding. They'll be in shock. They'll look very, very ill. And uh, when complete rupture occurs, this is an immediate life threat, right? Um, the uterus has ruptured, the patient will be in shock, the baby will be in shock. So pre-hospitally, this is a very challenging situation. Um, but most of the time, when I've seen this or heard about cases of this, it's they're already in labor and then it, the uterus ruptures during labor. And remember, during labor signs, they're getting Pitocin or other adjunct medicines. They're putting extra pressure on the uterus to increase contractions. And then that scar kind of ruptures open. Sometimes a little vaginal bleeding can also be the sign of eminent delivery. So the patient may call and say, I'm having vaginal bleeding. But really it's a small amount and it's usually like um, has some mucus with it. And that could just be the sign of eminent delivery coming. So even though you're responding to a call that has vaginal bleeding, always think, is this an eminent delivery? And if so, you can check out our eminent delivery podcast. Let's move on to assessment and management of these patients. Remember, these patients are bleeding and can be unstable. And at this point in pregnancy, we have two patients. We're going to be immediately assessing the mom for signs of tissue perfusion, cap refill, skin color, and mental status. In our pre-hospital system, we don't have equipment necessary to perform fetal monitoring. However, you should consider this if you have access. Establish large bore IVs and start fluid resuscitation for the patient in shock. There are a few important history questions that physicians want to know when you get to the hospital. Estimated gestational age, how many weeks pregnant is she? The number of fetuses, do we know if there are twins or triplets, complications with this pregnancy or previous pregnancies, again, history of abruption or preterm delivery predisposes future pregnancies for the same, can you quantify the bleeding, how much blood was there on scene, and of course, any personal history of bleeding disorders can be really important. And quickly assess the patient to determine if there's any obvious cause for bleeding, such as vaginal trauma or imminent delivery. Transport these patients quickly. Remember, you are caring for two patients. And one last thing to remember, an enlarged uterus carrying a fetus can put pressure on everything else in the abdomen. If the patient is in shock, place them in a slight left lateral decubitus position. This takes pressure off of the vena cava and allows blood to return to the heart, and the patient's blood pressure can increase just from this simple maneuver. Let's go through the um, vaginal bleeding protocol real quick. So in our SEMSA vaginal bleeding protocol, of course, your assessment starts with your ABCs and secure airway if needed. Um, place the patient on low flow oxygen if they're symptomatic, high flow if the patient is unstable, and uh, transport. During transport, try to get IV access. Uh, run your LR wide open if blood pressure is less than 80 with signs and symptoms of shock. Um, or do a fluid challenge if blood pressure is between 80 and 100 with signs and symptoms of shock. And you can just run it TKO if the blood pressure is above 100. Now, if the patient is pregnant and beyond the first trimester and has signs and symptoms of shock, then we recommend to place the patient on their left side. And so this, again, prevents the enlarged uterus from blocking blood return via the vena cava. And then contact hospital as needed. Now, another, just a little 
caveat is that, as we said, don't delay transport. Um, but also, if there is tissue that has been passed, place it in a plastic bag and bring it with you to the emergency department. And one other um, thing I'll add is that even when a third trimester bleeding patient arrives in the hospital, we don't immediately, let's say, insert a speculum and do a whole pelvic exam. We just quickly assess from the outside to see how much bleeding there is because you actually don't want to place anything in the vaginal vault until an OB doctor is able to evaluate them. So really the best thing to do is to stabilize them with fluids and transport quickly to your nearest facility. Let's go through some take-home points. What do we want people to remember about third trimester vaginal bleeding? Sajin. Remember that the amount of vaginal bleeding externally doesn't correlate to what's going on inside of the uterus. So take all of these patients seriously. It can be life-threatening for the baby and the mom. Patio. Remember to treat mom to help treat the baby. That's the only way you can help treat the fetus is to treat mom with IV fluids, oxygen, and a quick transport. Yeah, and my take-home point is very similar to yours, that this third trimester bleeding is very serious, whether they say they're spotting, whether they say it's a ton, if there's any history of bleeding, like get them to the hospital as quick as possible, because just like Gary shared in his story, the bleeding, when it does happen, it happens a lot. So we're kind of hoping you get a hint of it, a tiny bit of bleeding, and then the big you know, rupture doesn't happen for a few minutes, so it gives you time to get to the hospital. So thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.